Hello, I am Danny Simmons. And I am Kurt Norbit. And we would like to welcome you to the Common Sense Gospel. If this podcast is one that you've tuned into, it obviously is. Uh, we want you to know that we are fully and wholeheartedly focused on the living Word of God. It is our deep and earnest desire to share His Word uh, in truth and in simplicity so that it can be applied and it can be um, used in a common sense way. And that's, that is always our goal. And we will do that today. The title for this podcast is Things God Cannot Do. And I should just say that in one of our very early episodes, Sam Tipton um, asked a Bible trivia question that really threw me off. I, I mean, we, we were we were loving the idea of the trivia and that, you know, it's kind of like you could, you could, you could hear in our voices like, okay, here we go. Uh, don't hurt me too bad. You know, <laughs> I hope I don't mess this up. But I think maybe the second or the third show, he said, what are three things or name three things that God cannot do? And I immediately thought, okay, almighty, all powerful God, there's nothing he cannot do. <laughs> nothing. Yeah. And so it really threw me for a leap, a loop, because Jesus says in Mark 10, 27, with men, it's impossible. But with God, for with God, all things are possible. He says again in Mark 14, 36, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Um, of course, in that passage, he continues by saying, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will it would be possible for God to even to do that. So to have someone say, what are three things that God cannot do? I did not answer that question at mm. all. I couldn't even think of one. But the Bible does clearly tell us that there are some things that God cannot do. And so this inerrant living word of God, sharing all that he is, um, God's not concerned at all about telling us that there's a few things that he cannot do. And so we'll go over that today. Yeah. In fact, uh, my study into this some time ago was motivated kind of like from what you just indicated, that Sam asked that question and your immediate response was, well, God can do anything. Mm -hmm. what, what is it that he can't do? And militant atheists have long liked to use that approach to try and embarrass Bible believers. They will ask the question, can God do anything well, sure, he's God, you know, right. he can do anything. Yeah. Then they spring their little trick that they think they have, and they'll say, well, then can God create a rock that he can't move? <laughs> so, you, you know, now you're flustering because you're trying to figure that out first. Right. Uh, well, making a rock that he can't move, you know, that's kind of absurd, but that's what they're going after. Since you can't answer it, if, if you say, well, yes, They'll say, well, then God's not all-powerful because he can't move the rock. Right. Or, well, no, he can't. Well, then your God can't do anything. Right. So your God isn't really God. So they think they've, they have created a, uh, you know, they put you on the horns of a dilemma, but it's based on a false premise. The correct answer is when someone says, can God do anything? The answer is no. He can't do anything. Right. Because there are some things he cannot and will not do. And so I, I thought, well, it, it'd be good for me to know, you know, have a list of those things that he can't do. And one thing that I uh, found that was interesting in those things is they're all a reflection of his character. You, you have several points you're going to make on things he can't do, and I have a few that I'm going to uh, point out. But they're all tied in with the fact 
of who God is. Mm. And so uh, hopefully we'll see that as we look at some of these points. Yes, absolutely. And we also want to encourage everyone, honestly, to be encouraged because on the negative side, if you say, well, there are some things God cannot do that you would think, oh, well, my God cannot do this or that. Uh, It seems that he's fallen short of what an almighty God would be. But it's the opposite. Um, Because he's almighty and all powerful and all perfect God, then there's obviously some things that he can't do. And, and, And one of those, just to get us started, the first one I have is God cannot fear God cannot be afraid. And I give you a Bible verse for that. In 1 John chapter 4, in verse 8, we're told here, uh, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. The descriptive term for God in 1 John 4, 8, God is love. And when you get down to verse 18 of 1 John 4, the apostle goes on to say, There is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. So God is love, and perfect love casts out fear. So we know he cannot fear, he cannot be afraid. I mean, just imagine, again, I think this should be comforting for us, because there's nothing for him to be afraid of. He knows all things. He created everything. And so there's, there's just no way for him to be surprised or startled. Isn't that, that's encouraging to me that there's, there's nothing going to come up in front of him that he's like, well, what's that? Hold on a second. You know, imagine having that amount of power and wisdom and insight about everything at all times. He cannot be afraid. Nothing can harm him or touch him or change him or redirect him. There's no reason... <laughs> He doesn't sleep either, so it's not like, yeah. all right, got to set my alarm on my house. You know, well, my throne has to have the alarm. It, it doesn't work that way with him. He doesn't sleep. Yeah, he is the creator, and he knows everything about everything in his creation since it came from his mind and was brought into being by his power. So what is there to surprise him? What What is there? Now, sometimes, for example, Jesus was amazed yeah, he marveled. Mm-hmm. He marveled at the faith uh, of the centurion, for example. You don't need to come to my house, just say the word, because I understand the nature of authority, and you have authority over this situation, so just speak, and it'll be done. Jesus marveled at that. But that's a different situation. Uh, it, it has nothing to do with fear, for one thing. Right. And it, what Jesus was marveling at is not that someone could come to that conclusion, but that a Gentile understood by what he had seen the kind of authority that Jesus had, and he respected that That's right. and accepted it. Uh, it should have been expected from God's people, the Israelites, but to have a Gentile express that, that depth and magnitude of faith uh, was amazing. So he did marvel at that. Yeah, but it's just not going to happen. We're not going to scare God. No, no one can there's scare nothing God. we can do to make him jump up and say, well, you scared me. Yeah, no one can threaten I didn't, him. I wasn't ready for that one. Nope. Yeah, he's he's got it all under control. It's not going to be happened. He cannot he cannot even be threatened. And and again, to take that in an encouraging way, 2 Timothy 1.7 is a, is a passage we're very familiar with and love to, love to talk about. 2 Timothy 1.7, For God has not given us a spirit of mm. fear 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So we have a God who cannot be afraid, cannot fear, doesn't know that. And he's given to us not a spirit of fear. He doesn't want us to be afraid of anything either. He's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. I love that. That is so encouraging. Psalm 27 in verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Yeah. If God's my light and he's my salvation, he has given me salvation, he saved me, then that I naturally can't be afraid of anything. Well, as Paul said in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's right. So that's all we need. If God is for us, there's nothing else that can stand against us or him. So if nothing can stand against him, what has he got to be afraid of? That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. He cannot fear. Man, we've talked about it before, but it's, it's an awesome picture of the, you know, the maybe as a young child, you hear the storm kind of coming over your house. And I mean, there's thunder that's rattling the ground. And that scares everybody, really, you know, because it's startling. You're not prepared for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the child runs directly to the father, to the mother, looking for some comfort or protection. And in, in the, you know, the, what the parent offers in that moment is don't worry. I've got you because the parent knows the parent could be a little concerned too, but the parent knows I've been through storms before this house is secure. And so this surety, you know, that we sense from our parents as little kids is, is already there. And we're supposed to see that it should be reflected in the relationship that we have with God as adults. God is not afraid and I'm his child. And so I'm not either. Yep. We should, because not I be. know him yeah. yeah, and I know love. Our confidence is in him. Yep. He's shown it to me. I have no reason to be afraid because love, perfect love, casts out fear. Fear and condemnation is from the devil. That's I, right. I want no part of that. Yeah. That's not who God is. So, number one, God cannot fear. Um, another very interesting one to me is God cannot lie. Mm-hmm. God cannot tell a lie. Titus chapter 1 mm-hmm. in verse 1. Paul has a lot a lot to say, as he typically does in this one sentence. But Titus 1, yeah, let me start in 1. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, according to the faith of God's elect and the acknowledgement of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. God has promised to humanity eternal life. And Paul says, by the way, he cannot lie. So there it is again, right? It's not that, oh, no, my God fell short. No, it's because he cannot lie that we have this confidence. Yeah, we can believe him when he... And the fact that he promised it is going to touch on another thing that we, we're going to touch on that in which God... that One thing that God cannot do. But if he promises eternal life, but he has shown in the past that his word can't be trusted, he's... If he even lied once, exactly, how could we have confidence in this promise? Hey, well, back then it, on that thing you said that, and it didn't didn't work out. So now I don't have absolute confidence in him. But if he can't lie, and then promises eternal life to those who obey him, what reason do I have to doubt that? He can't lie. So I have absolute confidence in him. He's completely trustworthy uh, because he can't lie. Paul said in Romans 3, verses 3 and 4, What if some did not believe? 
Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of, of God without effect? Certainly not. And let, indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar. Hmm. Now, lying is our game. Yeah. That's what we get good at. That, that's our forte. Because if we're not in Christ, then we're allowing Satan to dictate the tenor of our life. And God tells us Satan's the father of lies. So we, we practice well what he teaches us as far as lying. It comes from him. He is the father of lies. God is truth. He cannot lie. So men can lie, and they do, and they have, and they will. But God cannot. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because in Numbers 23, Balaam's talking to Balak, and he says, God is not a, a man that he should lie or repent. He's perfect, and he just, God does not lie. Numbers 23, Balaam says it to Balak right there. And in Psalm 119 and verse 160, it says there, the entirety of your word is truth. Everything that God has given to Everything. us is true. Yep. So isn't it isn't it also true then that if, if God cannot lie, then the only thing for me to be concerned about is whether what I'm getting is from him or not. Right. Right? Because in, in, what is it, yeah. uh, Deuteronomy 18, the Lord through Moses says, if, if a prophet prophesies and it's not in my name, here's how you'll know. And then what's, what's the evidence people were supposed to look for? If it doesn't come to pass as he spoke it. If it doesn't happen, then it wasn't me. Hello, (laughs) not from God. And that's how men would know whether or not the prophet had spoken on behalf of Almighty God or of himself by his own visions and his own dreams. And that was important to them because they didn't have, you know, the scriptures written out the way that we do and all the referencing and the way that we have to to be sure that this is the word of God. Um, They were simply proclaiming that which God told them to proclaim. And then the people had to watch and see. I think that's very interesting. Yeah, and, and in fact, that, that yardstick still applies today because we have people in the recent past and, and in today in contemporary society claiming to be prophets of God, mm-hmm. claiming to understand the signs of the times. You know, we, we've gone through this formula and we studied Daniel and did this and that and the other thing and snapped our fingers three times. So now we know what's going to happen. Well... Over and over again, these people, have, it's, their word has not come to pass. What they said was going to happen didn't. And therefore, we are not to respect them. Yeah. If we were living in Old Testament in Israel, they'd be liable for stoning. That's right. Uh, we don't do that today. God will take care of it. That's not our <laughs> position anymore. Yes. Uh, but we must reject them. That's right. Give them no honor and, in fact, expose their lies. Yep reject wives tales and and fables and foolish talk about lineage and all those things that the bible directly commands us for us to evaluate that and say that's not from the lord and it's right. not worth fighting over so i'm not going to do that with you one more god cannot lie hebrews 6 i love this passage because mm. the hebrew writer is talking about what god has done and how he's assured this to us and he goes all the way back to when god spoke to abraham so in in Hebrews 6.13, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. And so, after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men indeed swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is for them an end to all dispute. Thus God, determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability, 
immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, Mm -hmm. we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. That's what I was talking about with the kid running to dad. We have strong consolation and we have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us that God had given to us. So the Hebrew writer makes a lot of points here, but he says, this is what God did for Abraham. And he said, blessing, I will bless you and by multiplying, I will multiply you. Did he do it? He certainly did. And so for us. In an amazing way. (laughs) Exactly. Beyond what we could have ever imagined. God could never have conceived this. He did more than what we thought he would do for Abraham in that promise to him. And in that time with Abraham, he said, I am almighty God. This is what's going to happen. There was nothing greater for him to swear by. So he swore by himself being one who cannot lie. Abraham didn't know that yet, but he learned it just as we have. And then he goes on to say, now men, they swear, uh, they make an oath for confirmation because that's the end of all dispute. Once you and I enter into an oath and we say, this is the way it's gonna be, we both promise we're keeping our word, we will not lie, it's written down, we sign our names, um, that ends all dispute. There's no mm-hmm. reason to ha- talk about it anymore. Settled it's, issue. It's as yep. good as done. Yep. Because you and I are both, our word and our names are on this. And so he's using that to say, look, God's not a man. <laughs> he doesn't lie. He doesn't need to repent. He's promised. There could be nothing more sure than this because of that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's an amazing, it, it kind of ties in with another thing that God cannot do. And that is that he cannot be unfaithful. Absolutely. Second uh, Timothy 2.13 says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful to himself. Now that that ties into that he can't lie and therefore he's trustworthy. But it's a nuance in that whatever he does or whatever he says, he will be faithful to that. Yeah, it will come about as you were pointing out with his promises to Abraham. Uh, one of the beautiful passage. It's a, a, a passage of light and encouragement in an otherwise very dark book. But in the book of Lamentations, uh, chapter 3, verses 22, beginning, it says, Through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed, because his compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So no matter what situation we're in, no matter what challenges we face, no matter how dark it looks, Lamentations was the funeral dirge for Jerusalem, a city being destroyed by the Babylonians, and yet the prophet Jeremiah could claim and declare, great is your faithfulness. It's because of you and your mercy that we're not completely consumed because you're faithful. You, you gave a promise to Abraham, and so you're going to not allow us to be be consumed. You're going to fulfill that promise because you're faithful to it. Yep. So there again, uh, same thing we've been talking about with not being able to lie. Everything that God says and everything that God does, we can have absolute confidence in. That's right. And the second that he's not faithful to himself or to his own word, then it it blows everything it up. It makes his word invalid at that yeah. point. Like, as you said, there's, then there will be nowhere for us to go. So it's, it's vitally important to who he is that he is faithful. But because he knows all things from beginning to end, 
um, what he says is absolutely right and true. There's no reason for him. He has he gets nothing out of deceiving a bunch of foolish men. What what he wants is to show us truth and to have us step into it and walk in that truth and be blessed by and through that as he is forever blessed. Um, that that's really a, a a huge thing about him not being able to lie and how we can take hold of his word and, and just be sure. As you said, men lie, and so if if a man stands before us or a woman and declares something that is not consistent with the word of God, then somebody's lying. Yep. And it cannot be God. It cannot. It will not be God. Yeah. Ever. And so that is the great, and that's how Hebrews 6, that, at least that passage ends. It says, This hope we have as an anchor of the soul, mm. both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil, the holiest of all, where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, mm. having become high priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. So this this hope is an anchor that is steadfast and sure. And, and just, you know, imagine a God speaking to his people, a God who cannot lie, saying, this will never move. I guarantee it. I mean, what, a, what an amazing yeah. thing. That's, I love it. That's one thing that you truly can take to the bank. That's, you can rest your life on that because it's sure. It, it doesn't matter what's going on in the world, all the changes that are happening. That's a rock you can stand on that's not going to let you down. That's right. And it takes us back to Second Timothy. Uh, I'm so, yeah. No, it's Titus 1 mm-hmm. where he says, God's promised eternal life. Yeah. And he can't lie. Uh-huh. So it's all tied into that as well. That Yes, we can depend on it. Yes, we can trust on it. I can put my life on it because God has promised eternal life uh, by, those, by those same principles. So, um, man. That's really good. So we have God cannot fear, God cannot lie, and the third one I have is that God cannot change. Malachi mm. 3 and verse 6, he says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And there again, it, that's also repeated in the New Testament. Yes. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Unfortunately, that passage is often misapplied and when it is, it robs it of its power. Because uh, people will use that passage to say, well, Jesus did miracles back in his ministry, and he never changes, so we should expect miracles today. That passage has nothing to do with that. No. The point is, Jesus in his person never changes. The way he works with man does. We've seen it. It has changed. He, he once, Hebrews 1, he spoke to the fathers in times past through the, po- the apostles or through the prophets, but now he speaks to his son. So he's changed the way that he works and relates with man. But God himself has not changed. Nope. And that is, a, a, again, just along the same lines that we've been talking about, a tremendous assurance for us in this life. Everything else can change. And it, with men, it will. But God will not change. He'll always be like he was in the past. That's how, right. The way he's revealed him, himself in his word is how he will always be. That is God. And he's not going to change. That's right. And it's such, again, to be encouraged to see the blessing in that is that 
He's not going to pull the rug out from under us. You know, imagine someone who's just just so close to being perfectly faithful to the Word of God, and then God says, you know, I changed my mind about that, about something that you've done faithfully based on my Word. If, if He changes that, then again, he's, he's, not, he's not the God that we've been looking at, the one who cannot lie. Um, if He's lying or misleading, then He is changing. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's just not who He is. I do not change and as you said you can watch different moments of time where you where it looks like there may be a nuance or maybe he did change here or he did this or that but i guarantee you with the example that you gave just using that as a case in point where you say well jesus performed miracles when he was on the earth god certainly performed miracles in the old testament we see that over and over again so we have to be able to perform them today hebrews 2 in verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, that's Jesus Christ, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. By the will of God, he gave those men who heard Jesus Christ on the earth, he gave them the power to perform miracles to confirm that word. Yep. There was a purpose behind that. It was done, and it's clearly laid out for us to, as you said, to assume like, oh, it never changes. So, um, it only people only use that to favor some argument that they're standing in. If you think that through, it doesn't serve you well at all. Because if God doesn't change, and as you said, most of us should have already been stoned to death right. for yeah. some of the things we've done. Mm-hmm. And so, oh no, no, not that. I'm glad God changed on that. Well, He didn't change. His laws are still there. The laws of truth are still all found there. But what has changed is the covenant, obviously. Right. The whole book of Hebrews deals with that. So I, I don't want to get off on a tirade here, but <laughs> it, it just, it's so dangerous to say, well, if he doesn't change, then he has to do this for me. Or, you know, it's usually very selfish mm-hmm. uh, in, in, its, in its origin for individuals to say things like that. But um, God says this about himself I am the Lord, I do not change. Um, the fourth and final one I have, I know you have a couple as well, but God cannot sin. Or be tempted to sin. First John chapter one, I think is just a great place to go to think about God who cannot sin. First John one and five says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light. He told us already that God is love. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So God is light. And sin is often portrayed as darkness. Men who are in sin love the darkness and hate the light, right? That's what Jesus says in John chapter 3. And so God is light. There is no darkness at all. In fact, after that statement at the end of chapter 1 and going into chapter 2 of 1 John, he deals with our sin uh, as a Christian and what we can do if we do sin. So obviously he's not talking about literal light and darkness. He's using it as a contrast between truth and sin, holiness and sin, truth and lies. So, yeah, God, uh, he doesn't need the remedy that John describes for us at the end of chapter 1, beginning of chapter 2, because he doesn't sin. He can't sin. He is holy. He is the holy God of Israel. 
he cannot abide sin. That's right. Uh, sin cannot enter his presence. You, you read about the elaborate ritual that the high priest had to go into every year, go through every year, just in order to enter the most holy place, in order to atone for the sins of the people. Because you have to be clean before the Lord, spiritually clean. There can be no sin because God cannot tolerate it. That's right. And so if he cannot have anything to do with sin, then he himself can't sin. He would, he would deny his holiness uh, if he were to do that, and then he's not God anymore. That's exactly right. In James chapter 1 is another place where we're told that God cannot be tempted to sin. James 1 and verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot, there it is, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. Man, think about some of the characters in the Bible. Joseph, when he was in mm. Potiphar's house. Yeah. It says that she came to him day by day. Yeah, she by day. was just berating him. Lie with me, lie with me. Yeah. And the Bible says that he's blessed. It doesn't say that he failed, does it? We're all tempted by something. But blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved by God obviously he will receive the crown of life there's nothing wrong with being tempted I think some people think I'm really struggling with this it keeps coming up I'm you know my mind keeps going in the wrong place we obviously don't want that to happen but that itself in itself is not sin the enticement is not sin because Jesus was tempted in all points yet without sin the Hebrew writer tells us but the Bible is clear to tell us that blessed is the man who endures that time of trial and temptation because, again, he's leaning on the anchor of his soul, the hope of everlasting life, and, and that God does not lie and has given him the truth. He continues to do what's right as he endures that temptation, and he's approved by God. The mistake we make is, why is God making me? Well, why is God tempting me to do this? Right. right. And James says he doesn't. Don't you He'll dare He'll test you, but he will not... He's not trying to get you to sin. That's, right. That's what temptation is. Yep. He's testing you to try to purify your faith. He, he, it's not, Satan does his temptations to tear you down. God tests you to build you up. Yep. And so he, God will never try to tear you down and try to cause you to entice you to make you to sin. You, you can't do that. He, he won't. He desires all men to come to the knowledge of the truth. So, yep. so how, why would he be pushing you into yep. sin? He wants us to be partakers of the divine nature. Well, if God's not a sinner, that's the state he wants us to attain to exactly. also. Exactly. So just as you said, at least with the four I have, they, they, all these point to his character. God cannot fear or be afraid. God cannot lie. That's his character. God cannot change. God cannot sin or be tempted to sin. All of those point to the nature of who he is. And you had a, a one or two other ones? Yeah, I had one that kind of summarizes all of these uh, from 2 Timothy 2.13 again, where Paul said, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Mm. So what does that mean? God can't deny himself. 
Well, it, I believe it relates to everything we've been saying. He can't <laughs> lie because that's not himself. Right. That's not his nature. That, that he is God. He can't lie. To lie would be to deny himself because he's pure and holy. There's no darkness in him. He's faithful. If he were to be unfaithful, he would be denying himself. That's who he is, yeah. But he can't do that. Um, if he became fearful or he suddenly changed, I'm not going to be a loving God anymore. I'm tired of you people. You're nothing but a bunch of sinners. I'm just going to blast you out of existence. Well, no, God is love. Mercy endures That's forever. not going to change. Yeah. If he did that, he's denying himself, and therefore he's not God. If he sinned, he's denying himself. So we can kind of roll all of these into that statement. And like I said at the beginning of the, of the class, these all tie into his character. They're, they're not talking about God can't do a particular work. They're talking about God can't do a particular thing because of his character. All of these things are based in his character, not not in that he lacks any power or anything like that. But these, these are his nature. He's love, he's light, he's truth. Therefore, he can't lie. He can't be involved in sin. Can't get, he's, there's no darkness in him. All of these things fit into who God is. Yeah. And if there's anything, any way in which God fails in any of those areas, he's now denied himself. He, he is saying, if, if he sins, if he changes, if he lies, I am no longer God. I'm not who I say I am. And he wouldn't be if he did those things. He would, he would be denying himself, but he can't do that. Right. <laughs> so there again, in all of this, you know, God is not going to violate who he is. That's the fundamental thing. God is going to be God. That won't change. That's right. And so the attributes of God are not going to change. And so he can't deny himself. If he can, he's not God. But he is God. And therefore, being a holy God, perfect in all his ways, he cannot deny himself. That's right. So everything's held together. It's immovable. It cannot change. And again, like, like we've been talking about, every one of these are, are very encouraging and strengthening to us, that consistency, that rock-solid nature of who He is, the way that's been revealed to us so that we can truly know it and take hold of it. it all of that is for our good, and it's, it's a beautiful picture of God's relationship uh, to His creation and, and, and the effort that He's put forth uh, to save us and to give us what we need to do what's right and you know to stand up in the face of evil and in the face of falsity and falsehood and, and say that's not true I know that's not true because I have the truth and I'm you know it's not something the truth that God has given to me is not something that he thought I was special and wanted to make sure I was a part of his plan it's for everybody it's just the the, the obvious fact is not everyone takes hold of that or lives by it and so there's conflict but somebody's right and somebody's wrong yeah. and is Many brethren have said in the in the past, um, it could be that I'm right and you're wrong, or you're right and I'm wrong. It could be that we're both wrong. Yep. 
But God is not wrong. We, if we start there, then we can move forward together and get into a place that we know is right, you know, by the word of God. And I love that approach because it's, it's humble. Uh, one of us is wrong because yep. we disagree, but we can get the right answer. And that's, right. that's awesome. And that, that only comes from a God who cannot deny himself because mm-hmm. it's solid. Yeah. And, and that, for me at least, that fact that God cannot deny himself is kind of the foundation that all of these other things we've talked about that he can't do rests on. Yeah. He can't deny himself. Therefore, he can't do any of these things that we've talked about because that would be a denial of who he is right. and what he is. So He's we, God. <laughs> we have to be thankful that there's some things God cannot do. Yeah. And there's one more. I have a couple others, but for the sake of time, there, and it occurred to me as we were going through this list, and I think it's vital to understand. One final thing that God cannot do is he cannot force you to be saved. Oh, wow. He cannot force you to obey him. He can't force you to submit to him and become a Christian. What God does is he pleads with you to submit to him. He lays it out. He, he reveals that we have sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He tells us what we can do about that and what the consequences of that decision will be. If you decide to follow me, if you go through, as Jesus said, the narrow gate that, that it's, it's a difficult way to go, but it leads to life. You can go that way, or you can go through the broad gate that leads to destruction, and there are a lot of people, he says, there are many who go in that gate. That's right. But God offers the choice. When Paul saw Jesus on the road to Damascus, when Jesus appeared to him, he asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? And Jesus said, arise and go to Damascus, and it will be told you what you need to do. Jesus didn't even tell him what to do. Right. And Jesus didn't say, well, you don't have any choice. I'm the Lord, and I'm going to make you do this. No, he says, you go, and it'll be told you. And then Paul intimated that he had a choice because when he was reciting this experience before King Agrippa, he said, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. That's right. Implying he could have been if he wanted to. That's right. So what God does is here's life. Here's what happens if you choose me. Here's what happens if you reject me. Not a good picture. Mm-mm. But it's your choice. Uh, I remember, I'm dating myself, but there was a comedian back in the day named Flip Wilson, and one of his characters was uh, Geraldine, I think. But anyway, whoever the character was, she was, would always get in trouble, and he would say, the devil made me do it. Mm. Well, the devil can't make you do anything either. If God can't make you do anything, <laughs> then certainly the devil, who is less powerful, can't make you. But that's a way to evade our responsibility for sin and our accountability. wasn't my fault. The devil made me do it. No, he enticed you, as we've just been discussing. Right. But you decided to do it. You took the steps. God says, when you're faced with that choice, here you only have one of two choices— You can do it my way or not. And if you choose not, there are consequences. But if you choose my way, there are consequences too. We would call them rewards. They're good consequences. The bad choice leads to bad consequences. 
So the important point there is God is not going to force you to submit to him. We're all in rebellion to him. He calls on us to surrender that rebellion and submit to a king who is good to us, who loves us, who wants to do what's right for us. But it is my choice to hoist the white flag. God doesn't grab my hand and make me hold it up. Okay, I surrender. You made me surrender. Against my will, yeah, no. Well, you didn't surrender then. No. You surrender when you give up your will, just as Jesus did in the garden. Yeah. Okay, I'm tired of fighting against you. I'm tired of exerting my will against yours. I surrender. I'm going to give up the fight, and I'm going to submit my will to yours. That's, right. that's me speaking. That's not what Jesus said in the garden. But, again, it, that is the choice we're all faced with. It's a choice that you're faced with today if you're listening to this broadcast. Mm-hmm. If you've not followed Jesus, God is giving you a choice right now. But he's not going to make you do something you don't want to do as far as salvation is concerned. It's always our choice. But he's done everything he could possibly do to provide to, for us to make the right choice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the Hebrew writer tells us in Hebrew 5, <clears throat> Jesus with vehement cries and tears to God who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. So he chose to stay with what God had sent him to do. And it's he learned obedience, it says, by the things which he suffered. So that is something that we're called to do as well, to, to learn and understand obedience um, to a God who cannot lie, who is faithful to himself, and, and, and is, will keep his promise. And that is what this is all built and based upon. So that is all very good. There are some things God cannot do. Don't, don't let that old atheist trick you. Yep. There are but some they are, he can't they are good things that he can't do. That's right. <laughs> Every one of them are, are, are end up being positives for our sake, and that's really yes. an amazing thing. Trivia, sweet trivia. Let me give you my first one. I'm super okay. excited. Danny's to get been these out. itching on this, and he says he has one that I'm going to really. It's, it's going to throw me for a loop here. That's right. I don't want else to worry because y'all are going to get it, but... Yeah, probably not me, Not though. Kurt. No. Okay, question number one. Who was the first apostle to die in the book of Acts? James. Very good. Beheaded by Herod. James, that's Acts right. He was killed 12. by the sword. Acts 12, very good. Do you have the verse? Do, did I get uh, extra bounty points for that? Did you say bounty does my, points? Do, do my, does my silver <laughs> star go to gold? It's changing because, colors. That could be good or not. Yeah, well, it's, it's, <laughs> it's yeah. not decaying. It's, but, it's yeah, turning the into gold is James. Like before yeah. my eyes. And, oh, look and, at that. And Woo. you said Acts 12. So verse yeah. 2 is where it tells us that James died. Again, the first first apostle to die in the book of Acts. Um, James is one of the three to be called aside by Jesus uh, for some very special moments in time. And yet he dies almost immediately when, when the church begins. It's, you know, you think, well, what, what are you doing, Lord? He, why was he pulled aside? Peter and John are going to live for a long time, it seems, past this. Why did James yeah. die? But, hey, that's, he suffered for the cause of God's Christ. That's God's sovereign plan, yeah. He it's just, God's will. And they all knew that they faced that. That's right. No one was exempt. So very good, man. You nailed that one. 
Okay, here's my first one. Uh, it probably won't be as tricky as that one. I, I haven't asked you my tricky question. Yet. Oh, ooh, now I'm intimidated. <laughs> okay, my first one is, how did Judas identify Jesus as the one to be arrested? With a kiss. That's right. Yeah, he said, the one whom I kiss, he says, secure him or seize him mm -hmm. and, and carry him away safely or something. In one of the Gospels, Judas yeah. tries to be a nice guy as he's betraying the Lord. Yeah, it's... All uh, the three synoptic gospels relate that for us. It's Matthew 26, Mark 14, and Luke 22. But especially in Luke 22, I, I think even at the last, Jesus was trying to bring Judas back because he says, Judas, are you betraying me with a kiss? Yeah. Think trying about to get Judas to think about it. Yeah. But yes, that's right. It was Judas. The irony. Uh, the kiss that he gave to Jesus was the sign. Good. All right, yep. we're doing great. All right, here's the tough one. Where was Solomon's temple located? Uh, at Solomon's temple. Come that's on. not that's not what you were looking for. No. Where was Solomon's temple located? On Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. No. Uh, it was on the side of his head. I, friends, we should know <laughs> this by now, shouldn't we? <laughs> All right, that's not the real question. Is Here's that what finally drove him to sin, was <laughs> carrying that huge weight around on his head? <laughs> on the side of his head? That's, oh, that's gross. All right, real question. What is the longest chapter in the Bible? Uh, the longest chapter? I would say Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in all the Bible. It has 176 verses. So What's the shortest one? 70. No, yeah. 117. Yeah. Yes, I knew so that. So right there, close to each other, yeah. you have the shortest and longest verses in the Bible, or yeah. chapters in the Bible. Yeah. I think Psalm 118 is dead center of all Scripture. I've, I've seen something written out about that. Yeah, there's, yeah, I think, yeah, now that you mentioned that. We may have to look at that and yeah. clear that up later. But what's the fourth and final question? Because we, we are three for three right now. Okay. In Exodus, which plague was it uh, that God brought on Egypt that fell from the sky? And this is not a joke. Oh, good. It sounds like it might be, but which one fell out of the sky? Uh-oh. Hmm. Fell that, out of the sky. Oh, it's got to be hail. That's it. It's wow. got to be hail. The seventh plague, oh, man, right? Man, I was thinking because he, he told Moses to take the dust out of the bake, baking ovens and sprinkle it out, for, and that was lice. But mm -hmm. didn't, doesn't say the lice came from the sky. No, but okay. you're, you're right. Exodus 9, verses 13 through 35, the seventh plague was hail that rained out of the sky. Oh, that was a close one. I had nothing there for a minute. I was going to tell the people that, that whirring sound you hear is, is the gears in Danny's head really working this way. Yeah, over, you can so. just hear them grinding out. <laughs> yeah. Find it, grind it. But he pulled it out, folks. He did it. He did it. Good. We're four for four. We hope that you did well also. You also got a, a free joke, you know, if you want to have fun with your friends. It's where a good was, thing it was free. Where, where was Solomon's <laughs> temple? Oh. Where was Solomon's temple located? I apologize for us, folks. Obviously on the side of his head. <laughs> all right. Well, very good. Thank you all for listening again. Uh, we, we try to say it as often as we can, but we are sincerely grateful uh, for you being with us today and choosing to tune in and, and really at the most basic level, just the desire to, to think about what God said to us and what his word teaches. And not that we would have everything right um, every time we open our mouths, but 
the heart and the desire is where it should be to, to love, to honor, and to serve God the very best way that we can. We trust that you're doing the same to the very best of your ability. And, and our prayer is that God will bless you and keep you until the next time.